0: With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bukama, of Kuf Yud, Gimel, page 113. We begin on the bottom of Kuf Yud base page 112b. Two lines from the bottom towards the end of the line. Amar, Avina. Ravina says, and the Gemara here is speaking about the concept that if someone is invited to a court, and he flaunts the court's authority, he doesn't come to the court, he doesn't come to his court date, so then what the court is going to do is they're going to write a document stating that this person is in a ban, he's excommunicated, no one's allowed to have any interactions with him. Now, we actually will send an invitation, not through the normal messenger of the court, but we can even give it to a woman, or a neighbor, who normally interacts with this person, and, if he doesn't come we assume that he got the information he got the invitation and he's just flaunting the will of the courts and therefore will place a ban upon this person now when do we say when do we assume that in fact information had been given to him the invitation he had received only if he's not around at the time when the court asks the neighbor to give over this information but if the person is indeed around so then we don't even assume if he hasn't come we don't assume that he's flaunting the authority of the courts actually what we we assume is that the person, the neighbor, did not give over the invitation. Da amrinam because we say like this, that the the neighbor didn't give it over. Da amri because the neighbor said to himself, Ashkechinu the best in Since the person's around right now, so therefore it's, the court is going to find a messenger to give over this information. Whereas, if the person that we're inviting is not around at the time that we're sending the neighbor to, to give over this invitation, so then we would depend upon the neighbor because the neighbor would realize that we're depending upon him. And therefore, if the person doesn't show up, we assume that he got the information, he got the invitation, and he's flaunting the desire of the courts. And when do we say, if he's not around, that we indeed trust the neighbor to give over the invitation? Only if this person does not ordinarily pass by the courts when he is in town. But if ordinarily he passes by the courts when he's in town, like then we do not depend on the neighbor. Why? Because we can assume that the neighbor didn't give over the invitation because the neighbor says to himself, since he always passes by the court, so then the court's going to see him and they're going to invite him directly. And this is that we said that we trust the neighbors only if the person we're inviting has returned or is going to return on that day. If he had not returned on the same day that we asked the neighbor to give over the invitation, then we don't assume the invitation was given over. Because we can assume that the person, the neighbor, has forgotten in fact to give over the invitation. And therefore we don't place a ban on him just because he hasn't shown up. Omar Rabbah, Rabba says, If let's say someone had a ban written about him, a document stating that this person is excommunicated, and the reason was because he had not come when the court invited him. So until he actually shows up in court, we will not rip up the document, even if he says, I'm coming to court. doesn't matter. Until he actually shows up in the court, we don't rip up this document, he remains in the ban. If, let's say, the reason that the, the court had written this document is because he wasn't listening to the court's verdict... So So Rav says that until he actually listens He fulfills whatever the verdict was of, Let's say the, the court decided that it's to give money to someone else And he's not listening So they will write a document stating that this person is in, in an excommunication Because he's not listening to the ban So we won't rip up that document Until he fulfills what he's supposed to fulfill and the Gemara says, That the second part of the statement of Rabi is actually not true. And the Amr taisana that in fact, as soon as the person says, in the case where we wrote this document because he wasn't listening to the court, as soon as he says, I'm going to listen to the court, let's say, to get over $100 to the person that he owes it to, so we will immediately rip up this document, and Rashi explains that the difference is that in this case, where he says he's going to listen, he's going to do what the court said, so we assume that the reason that he hasn't done it yet, is because he doesn't have the money right now, but he's definitely going to get involved in trying to get the money in order to pay back the person that he's, to pay but in the case where he hasn't yet shown up in court there is absolutely no reason why he shouldn't show up in court so if he says i'm going to go to court that's not enough for us to rip up the document stating that he's in excommunication so until he actually shows up in court he hasn't shown he hasn't proven that in fact he means to show up in court so when he shows up in court then we'll rip up the document but in regards to a case where where he owes money as soon as he said that i'm going to do what the court says we trust him and we assume the fact that he hasn't done it right away is just because he doesn't have the money right now but he's definitely going to get involved in trying to get the money we set a time, Monday, Thursday, Monday, Zimna invitation after invitation after invitation. What does this mean? So Rashi explains that we invite a person to the court on Monday. If they don't show up, we invite them again for Thursday. If they don't show up on Thursday, we invite them again for the following Monday. And after that Monday, on Tuesday, so we write a document stating that they haven't listened to the court's invitation, and therefore the person is placed in the next communication in a band. So and the reason is you wait the entire Monday, the person has the entire Monday to to come that final Monday. Ravasi Rav Ravkahana. Now Ravasi, actually they changed the gears to be Ravashi. So Ravashi he comes to visit the house of Ravkahana. Khazahi is the He saw that there was a certain woman that was invited to court in the afternoon, for the following morning, Psycho. Already they were writing this document of excommunication about her. So Amr Lay. So Rav Ashi says to Rav Gahana. Don't you hold what Rav Chizda said? Person gets Monday Thursday Monday before the before they write documents of excommunication. Amr Laizer of Kahana responds and says, no. Hani That's specifically talking about a man, Da'anis, because he's he, it's not it's out of his control. He may not have heard this invitation. because he's not in the, in the, in the town of but a woman came in since she's ordinarily in town. Villa and nevertheless she has not come, my So that's a sign that she's rebelling against the court, and therefore, even if we write her in the afternoon, we invite her in the afternoon and she doesn't show up, so then she's still going to have this document placing her in the next excommunication in a band Says, we do not create a court date during the month of Nisan, nor in the month of Tishrei. And Rashi explains, because those are the two months that a person is bringing in his crops from the field, whether we're talking about the wheat, we're talking about grapes, those are the two months that a person is very involved in his work. We also don't create a court date for somebody on Erev the day before a festival, or the day before Shabbos, on a Friday. If let's say you want to invite him in Nisan, and you want the court date to be afterwards, unless you want to invite him in Tishrei, the or Tishrei, for a court date which is after Tishrei, Kavinam. So that's something that we do. A person will be able to receive the invitation even if he's busy at work. The shabasa. however, if you want to give him an invitation on a Friday, so that's not going to work, even though you're creating the court date for a later time. Like Kavinan, we don't do that. My time, what's the reason? But Because the person is way too involved in his preparations for Shabbos, and therefore you won't even receive, you won't even register the fact that he's been invited to court Rav Nachman says, "We do not give invitations to people who have come to hear a Torah lecture on a Shabbos or a festival. Nor do we give an invitation to people who have come to hear a Torah lecture within 30 days." Rashi says, "30 days before a festival, so they used to teach the halachos. So they still do teach the halachos, the laws pertaining to that festival. So when a person comes to hear the Torah lecture, we don't give them invitations. And Rashi explains because we don't want to turn them off, discourage them, heaven forbid, from coming to hear Torah lectures." So, so, Rav Nachman was the one who just made that statement. So, it used to be that people would come to Rav Nachman, people who were owed money, and they would say to them, Please, will you in- invite these people to court on the day of the Torah, the Torah Shir, the Torah lecture? Amr so al he would respond to them, Do you think that it's just for you that we gather all these people here? They came to the Torah lecture, we're not going to discourage them. The Gemara says, However, today, nowadays, where there are many people who are, who are remiss in paying their, their scoundrels, they're trick, their tricksters, who they try to get out of peng? So we will indeed invite them, even though they came here to hear the Torah lecture, and it might discourage them. We continue. We said in the Mishnah that if it was something, if a father stole something, which was yesh bo we'll see soon what that means. So the, if he gave it over to his son after he died, there's an obligation on the son, the children, to return that thing. Rebbe said the following brisa over to his son Reb Shimon. Ordinarily, when we talk about it, it means literally something that has Responsibility upon it So we're usually talking about a piece of land So it says, so that says this, we're not talking about literally a piece of land Even if it's a cow that he's using To plow with Or a donkey that is using And it's out in the open, everyone sees it So even though Technically, by law It became the inheritors There's no obligation on him to return it Nevertheless, we say that he should return it and there is an obligation with avim because of the honor of their father. And as Rashi mentioned previously, the idea is that people are going to see this guy, this inheritor, walking around with a cow that originally belonged to someone else that this kid's father had stolen. So they're going to say, hey, look, that's the thing that their father stole. So that's going to be, reflect negatively on the father. And therefore, the child, because of the honor of the father, should return that item to the original owner. Ravkana asks the following question of Rav. Let's say you have a bed that the father had stolen, and now the son is using it in his house to to recline upon. Or let's say the father had stolen a table and he's eating upon it. What do we say? And Rashi explains the two different possibilities here. Do we say that this is not something that goes out in the open so the father theoretically is not going to have the same type of embarrassment or no, do we say that since people walk into this guy's house people will say hey, this is the table that was stolen from the other guy by this guy's father so it still is an embarrassment. So Rav responded as follows. He quoted in the verse it says give to the wise and he will become wiser. And Rashi what this means is that indeed it will be the same exact thing since it's something that would be embarrassing for the father the child should indeed return it even though technically it does belong to him because of the honor of his father he should return it we begin the next Mishnah if let's say somebody wants to exchange some money wants to trade in $20 bills for $100 bills or the other way around and so a person is not permitted to do that if he's doing it from a box which is used by a person who goes around collecting taxes for the king and the reason is because we assume, as explains Rashi, that the money that's inside of it contains money that was stolen. And I think the reason is because the person was the Balmechas, the person who was the tax collector, so many times the king would say, okay, I want you to collect $10 from every person. So what he would do is he would take a little cut off the top. He would say to everyone, I want you to give $12. That's what the king wants. So part of the money would be stolen money, and therefore you're not allowed to use that money. You can't take any tzedakah, any charity from them. However, where does this person, where does the tax collector keep all the stolen money inside of those boxes? Let's say you go to his house, or you meet him in the market and you want to exchange money there. That's okay, because we don't assume that that money contains stolen money. It would be permitted, despite the fact that you're not allowed to go and take money and exchange it for, let's say, a $100 bill for $20 bills, nevertheless, if let's say you need to pay the tax, and you don't have exact change, and you need to get change from the tax collector, that would be permitted. The Gemara continues, We said you can't exchange money with the tax collective, The Gemara says, Hold on a second, Why is it considered that you've stolen? Shmuel says, Then when the tax collector takes the money, It has every right to take the, the, the tax money, And the reason is because, If the king says that there's a tax, You have to pay the tax, The law, the land is the law, So we're talking about a tax collector, so ordinarily, if indeed it's a tax collector who has a set amount of money that the king says is supposed to be paid to him per year, so then fine, every single person has to pay their dues. But if we're talking about a tax collector who doesn't have a set amount, he just takes whatever he wants, so then the money involves, it involves stealing. The Be'i Rabi'ani Amrei, the Yeshiva Rabi'ani offered a different explanation. But They were talking about a case, not the tax collector that was appointed by the king. Actually, this is a tax collector who appointed himself. He decided, I'm going to go around collecting taxes, not for the king, for himself. And therefore, he's a gazan, he's completely stealing the money. There were actually those who had this argument that we just stated between Shmuel and Rabi'ani. This was stated on a different case entirely, as follows. It's not permitted for a person to wear wool and linen in the same garment. Even if, let's say, he put on 10 different garments, so that when he comes through customs, he doesn't have to pay the tax. Nevertheless, despite the fact that he's not wearing it to wear it, to be warm, he's wearing it because he wants to get out of paying the tax. Nevertheless, a person will still have a prohibition of wearing kilaim of wearing this forbidden mixture. So, this mission that we just quoted is not like Rabbi Kiva, the time we have a braisa. It's forbidden to wear these clothing, like we just said. Rabbi Shimon says in the name of Rabbi Kiva that in fact it's permitted for a person to wear the clothing in this way in order to get past the customs without having to pay the taxes. Bishlam says we understand the inyan kilayim in regards to the wearing of a forbidden mixture. the argument is as follows: the gavin that one holds when you don't intend to do a forbidden thing, you're not intending to actually wear it; you have a different intention completely. That that's okay. The other one holds that no, if you're wearing it, even if you don't intend to get the benefit of wearing it, since you are wearing it, it's forbidden. Says, Hold on a second. Is a person allowed to do this in order to get out of the tax? Mishari is permitted. Like we said before. The law of the land is the law. If you have to pay the tax, you have to pay the tax. You can't wear it in order to get out of paying the customs. So here's where comes in the name of shmuel and says, We're talking about a tax collector who he's going beyond the amount that the king had set. And the Yeshiva learned, but we're not talking about a tax collector of the king, but rather somebody who got up on his own and decided he's collecting taxes from everyone, so it's all completely stealing, and therefore a person is allowed to bypass that by wearing the clothing. There were those who actually had this argument. On the following B'risa, on the following mishnah, a person is allowed to swear or to promise that a certain thing is true in order to get away from someone who's trying to kill him, who is trying to take away, trying to steal something from him, or from a tax collector. So you're allowed to swear that this is something which is actually dedicated, donated to the temple. Or you can say, I promise you that this is something which is belongs to the king. Even though it doesn't belong to the temple, even though it doesn't belong to the king, if that's what you need to do, if you can say that and they'll go away from you, they won't take away your thing or they won't kill you, so you're allowed to do that. On a You're to say this to a tax collector. We know that Shmuel says that the law of the land is the law. How could you try to bypass the tax collector? We're talking about a tax collector who he doesn't have a set amount, therefore he's taking extra stuff, like we said previously. We're talking about a tax collector who got up on his own. He's not appointed by the king. Ravashi. on Ravashi is a different possibility. But We could be talking about a king. Canaanite tax collector, and I think that the reason when it comes to a Canaanite, you don't have to do what he says is because since he's in the land of Israel so the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people so a Canaanite can't get up and tell you that if, if you don't pay the tax, I'm going to kick you out, because the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people, we can't be kicked out, so therefore you don't have to do what the Canaanite says of Tanya of Ebreza, the Veknani Anos, if let's say you have a Jew and you have a Canaanite who's trying to steal money from this Jew, Shebole and they came to the court, to a Jewish court. If you have the ability, using the Jewish laws, to, to make sure that the Jew doesn't end up losing the money that this guy's trying to take away from him, great. And you can say to them, this is our law. If let's say you can do it in their own law, so great. So do it with, the, with their own law. And you can say to them, this is this is the law of your land. Vimlav. And if not, so you can do some kind of trick in order to make sure that this guy doesn't take the money away from the Jew. These are the words of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi, Rabbi Kiva says, We don't create this trick, because it could create a desecration of God's name if we do this. We want to make sure that God Name is not desecrated, but rather that it's sanctified. Rabbi Kiva, so now, when do we say that there's a problem? We don't make sure to take away the money from this guy who's trying to steal from the Jew, from this non Jew who's trying to steal from the Jew. That's only if by doing so there's going to be a desecration of God's name. If we take away the money, it's going to desecrate God's name. So then we don't take away the money. Ha, like a but if let's say there's not going to be a desecration. Why? Because the guy's not going to figure out that this person is lying. He's never going to figure it out, not now, not later. So, buying then we will indeed do a trick. So that's why we would say over here, in regards to a Kanani, a Canaanite, that in fact is permitted to tell him that this money belongs to the king, belongs to the truma, belongs to the temple, whatever it may be. The Gemara continues, the the Gemara says, hold on a second, the indication of what we just said is that even if it's undeserving, we're allowed to take away the, the Canaanite's money. What's going on here? Is that permitted? The following statement was stated by Rabbi Kiva, when he came from this place called Zephiren. How do we know that's forbidden to steal from a Canaanite? The verse says, If a Jewish slave is sold to a non-Jew, so if you want to get the Jewish slave back, so you actually have to redeem him, you have to pay back for him. Turn to Kofi Gimelama Base page one thirteen B. Shalayim Shachenu Vietse. You can't just pull him out from there, you have to pay him for him. You might think that we allow, explains Rashi. You might think that we allow the Canaanite to to double the amount of money that he wants to get the the Jew back. That's why the verse of the and kenayu that we make a with the person who bought. You act the we figure out exactly how much was spent, and therefore that's how much we give to him. So what do we see? We see you can't steal from a Canaanite. Um Yosef. So Yosef explains like this: It depends if we're talking about a Canaanite or or a ger Toshav A ger Toshav is somebody who is living amongst the Jewish people and he's accepted upon himself not to worship idolatry it seems that he's accepted upon himself the seven Neochad laws so such a person we don't steal from but a Canaanite it would in fact be permitted since he worships idolatry so it would be permitted perhaps to steal from him Um, normally Abai so challenges this the verse is not just talking about when it says that you have to pay to get the Jew back it's not just talking about a person who's accepted upon himself not to worship idols but it's also talking about a Canaanite the verse says, that you're going to sell yourself to, if a person is involved in taking interest, he's going to end up selling himself because he doesn't have money. And it says, not only to, your, to a Jew, you're going to end up selling yourself to a stranger. Shanimar, as the verse says, to a stranger. And this is not referring to a quote unquote stranger or convert to Judaism. It's referring to a person who's a stranger or non Jew, who's amongst the Jews, who's accepted upon himself not to worship idolatry. as the verse says elsewhere, that we're talking about, uh, a person who's living amongst us who's not Jewish. Furthermore, the verse says, you're going to sell yourself to a family of a stranger. This is referring to somebody who worships idolatry. When it says, or you'll sell yourself to something which is uprooted, this is referring to somebody who's selling himself to the actual idolatry itself. So what do we see? We see, even if a person is an idolater, you still have to pay to get the Jew back. So you see, you can't just take away the Jew from this non-Jew. You see that the money of a Canaanite, you can't just steal like this. there's a difference between two different cases when are you allowed to quote unquote steal from a Canaanite that's only talking about where you borrowed money from him and you're not paying back meaning what you're doing is you're not actively stealing anything from him you're just not paying back the money that you owe him so as long as it's done in a way that he believes that in fact you don't have to pay him and there's no chil there's no desecration of God's name because he's believing whatever statement you're making so then it's not going to be problematic However, to directly go and steal from him, that's not permitted. So in the case where there's a guy who's a uh, Balmeches, a Canaanite who's coming to collect the taxes, so that's considered like money that's owed. You're not directly stealing, and therefore, as long as you can get out of it in a way which he believes it's permitted. I'm um, really like let so says, hold on a second of course, The case of an Ebed Ivri, says Abayan, that case is considered like a case where you're taking away the money that's owed to him. Why? Because when a person buys a slave, a Jewish slave, let's say. So he pays money, and in theory, he's expecting to get back that money as work by the slave and nevertheless in that case which is considered like paying back a loan we see that you have to pay for the slave so what are you telling me Rava? that if it's a Havah if it's money that you owe the person that owe the Canaanite you're allowed to get out of that we see from the case of the verses that are talking about a Jewish slave that that's not true Says, so it's actually Rav according to his own reasoning He doesn't hold that it's considered That when you sell yourself as a slave That you're considered like you're paying back the guy For the money that he gave you originally Rav, It says like this When you have a Jewish slave You actually own the body of the Jewish slave And therefore it's not considered like Alva It's not considered like a loan that's being paid back by the slave But rather the non-Jew actually owns the body of the slave And therefore you have to pay him To get that money back And therefore it would be considered stealing If you wouldn't pay him for the Jewish slave I'm Bshim send the name of as follows. Gezel kanani osir. Stealing the stolen object of a Canaanite is forbidden. You're not allowed to have any benefit from that. You can't take it. But if he lost an object, it's permitted to have benefit from it. Gezel osir. So how do we know this? That if, that is it's not permitted to steal from a Canaanite, the amar Huna because ravhuna says like this. How do we know that something that's stolen from a Canaanite, is not allowed to get any benefit? Shanemar, as the verse says, the verse says, you shall consume all of the nations, that Hashem, your God, gives over to you. Only when you're allowed to consume them, so to speak, when can you take their stuff? Only when they're given over into your hands, at the time when the Jewish people came in conquest of the land of Israel, many, many years ago. So that was permitted. But you can't take their stuff when they're not given over to you. So, how do we know that the lost object is indeed permitted? Because the in the name of Rav, How do we know that the lost object of a Canaanite is permitted? As the verse says, For any lost object of your brother, you have to return it. You have to return it to your brother. But you don't have to return it to a Canaanite. And the Messiah explains that the reason is because in Canaanite law, so an object that's lost, that was their destiny. So, we don't have to be more from, we don't have to be more religious than the Canaanites since they believe that a lost object you don't have to return so we also do not return them to them <speaking in Hebrew> Sigmar says maybe when the verse says that you have to return your brother's object and not a Canaanite maybe that just means that you don't have to pick it up and return it <speaking in Hebrew> you don't have to go looking for the guy <speaking in Hebrew> but maybe if it got into your hands you would indeed have an obligation to return it says <speaking> no <in Hebrew> the verse is talking about and says that you only have to return it to your brother the verse says you shall find and the indication of the you shall find is that it actually came into your hands. When it comes into your hands, the verse says you only have to return it to your brother. The indication is you do not have to return it to a Canaanite even though it came into your hands. Tanya, we have a bracer, if it, this would involve a desecration of God's name, I feel so if you, by taking a lost object of a Canaanite, it would create a desecration of God's name, it would be forbidden to take that lost object. Shmuel says like this, However, if there's a mistake. The Canaanite has no idea that that uh, there was some kind of mistake in the, in the calculation, and he ended up giving you more money than he was supposed to. That's permitted to take the money, since it will not involve the desecration of God's name. Like the following story of Shmuel, he bought from de what was a reed made out of gold. But the person who was selling it, the Kuthite, he thought he was selling him something which was bronze. And in another story, he was supposed to pay him four Zuz. And he ended up that the, the guy only took from him three. He, he, he ended up paying one less. So, you see over here that it's permitted to do this as long as the person is not gonna, not gonna realize it's not gonna create a desecration of God's name. Rav Kahana may Mekuti Me'av Esm Chavita, the Rav Kahana bought from a certain Kuthite for 120 barrels, he paid off for only 100. Again, another story, he gave him a little bit less, and the guy didn't realize, I'm lay, so he says to him, see that I'm depending on you. So there are two different versions of who's talking to who, and he says, you see I'm depending on you. Rashi likes the version that the kuthite actually said to Rav Kahana, that I depend on you. So since Rav Kahana saw that this person is trusting him. So it, it was permitted for him to, since it wouldn't be a desecration of God's name, to pay a little bit less. Ravina once bought a group of date palms, him, along with a Kuthite, and they wanted to chop them down. So Ravina says, to the guy who helped him out let's go first before the Kuthai gets there because the Kuthai he knows the number he knows how many he's going to watch how many things that we chop down but he's not looking which ones are larger and which ones are smaller and since he doesn't care about that so it's okay for us to take the larger ones one time Ravashi was walking along on the path so he saw branches of grapes in, a, in an orchard and he saw that there were clusters of grapes there so he says to his helper he said to him go see if they belong to Kuthites if so bring me some if they belong to a Jew don't bring me any so the Kuthite who was sitting there he heard this guy he was sitting there in the orchard he heard what Ravashi says so he says to him what if it's a Kuthite then it's permitted what do you think you're allowed to steal from a Kuthite so he says to him no a Kuthite takes money he's going to sell it to me I don't want any presents said Ravashi I want to pay for the group of the clusters of grapes, Kutai will take money, but if it's from a Jew, so they'll give it to me for free. I don't want it to, I don't want anything for free, I want to pay for it. Kufa, we said previously, Amr Shmuel Shmuel said, Dina the Mahusadina, that the law of the land is the law. Amr Rava. Rava says, I'll prove it to you, take that, I'll show you that it's true. The Katli Dikla, that we find that the messengers of the king they chop down people's date trees, their palm trees, Vigashri Gishri, they make. Uh, bridges out of them, And we walk over them. So if they're considered stolen, because they're not allowed to do that, so then we shouldn't be allowed to uh, pass over them. Clearly the law of the land is the law. I'm by really so I says can't prove anything from that maybe it's because the owners have given up hope on receiving back their stuff so that's why it's permitted to go over them nothing to do with the fact the law of the land is the law so he says to him, no, it has to be that the reason is because of the law of the land is the law because it's not for the fact that the law of the land is the law it is the law why would they give up they haven't done the the they haven't done like the king said the king said to them go and Chop down trees from the entire valley. Instead of going to all the people in the entire valley, only went to this one guy in the valley. And the messenger of the king is like the king. They just weren't bothered to go around to all the different houses. So now, if we wouldn't say that the law of the land is the law, and what this guy did is, is okay, so then theoretically, this guy should this guy's losing out on his own. He should go around to all the other people in that valley and take money. For the for the trees that were chopped down from his own thing, they were supposed to be chopped down from everyone. So clearly, from the fact that these people who lost out don't have a right to go to everyone else, the law of the land is the law. Whatever these people did as messengers of the king is going to be what the law is, and there's no choice about this. Amar says. Part of the Malka. If let's say that you have four partners in a business, they're all there in the granary, they split up the grain, three of them left, brought their grain home, and the fourth guy is still around, and then the tax collector comes to collect the tax from all of them, so the guy who's left, so he gives that part of his own grains for the other people, so what he's done is considered done, and they have to pay him back. Additionally, Rashi mentions that the tax collector who took this money, he took it, but then he had every right to take the money from this guy, even though he's taking it for the other guys as well that's specifically talking about where we have four partners if let's say someone's a sharecropper a sharecropper is somebody who works with someone else he doesn't actually own the land but he does have rights to take certain portions of the crops so if he's the one who had given over the money to the Gabay the, the person who's collecting the tax and he had given money also for his partner so to speak the, the person who owns the piece of land the so he actually lost his own money because the Gabi, the person who's collecting the tax doesn't have a right to take from this guy he's not considered a partner with the other person so therefore, he doesn't have a right to collect the tax from the aris, from the sharecropper, for, for the landowner. He has to go to the landowner. So the money that he's taken is actually considered stolen. And one would not be able to do, like we said in the Mishnah, one, one would be not permitted to do any kind of business to exchange money with him because it's considered that it's stolen from the aris, from the sharecropper. And unfortunately, the sharecropper doesn't have a right to claim to the landowner that I already paid your tax because he wasn't supposed to pay the tax, so he lost out his own money of says as follows Barmata let's say you have one Jew this Jew we'll call him Ruvain he's the tax collector Ruvain comes to Shimon and says to Shimon I want you to pay for yourself you Shimon and I also want you to give me collateral for what Levi owes me and you have to deal with that if you want to get your money back so as long as he's collecting for the king he has the right to do that that's speaking about specifically a land tax or a head tax of the current year of to the khalif, but if we're talking about a tax from the previous year, Malka, even though the money is still owed to him, since the tax collector already paid the king, and he already satisfied the king, so now, the money that's coming in is money that's owed to him, to the tax collector, the money perhaps that he's supposed to get as payment for collecting taxes. So there, khalif, it's too late, he missed his chance, he can't force Shimon to give him collateral on behalf of Levi, because there's no longer involved here, the law of the land, because since he's collecting for himself, the money that's owed to him personally so he can't use the law of the land for that purpose something else. if you have these non-Jews who live amongst the Jews they live inside of the city and they have these animals that they, they allow people to use the animals for dung for the manure to fertilize their fields it's forbidden to buy from them because many times the animals that belong to a Jew will get mixed up from them so buying from them would, would constitute stealing However, if they keep themselves outside of the border of the city, it would be permitted because you don't have to be worried that a Jew's animals got mixed up. Amar Ravina says, If the owners of, if let's say there was a Jew from inside of the city was running after them saying that that's my animal amongst those animals, even if they're hanging out outside of the borders, it would also be forbidden. (laughs) Maches <laughs> Rava Vitem Ravhuna. Ravav, and those who, there are those who say it was Ravhuna, made the following announcement. The Salk and Laela, those who go up to Israel, Udanach Latata, those who come down to Babylonia, Bar Yisrael. Listen up, all of you. If you have, a, if there's a Jew, the Yoda Sadus Lakuti, who knows information, testimony that would benefit a Kuthite, Vilaytavamine. And the Kuthite did not bring this person to testify in court. Va'asavasat Lebedine de Kuti al Yisrael. Chavrei. and the Jew went to the, to the Kuthites court and he said in front of that court the testimony that, that was negative for, for the Jew so we place such a person into a ban my time what's the reason because the Kuthites based on the words of a single witness they'll take away the money of the Jew and give it to the Kuthite and that's forbidden by Jewish law because you need two witnesses so that's only speaking about if there was a single witness I'll betray but if there were two people who went and did it since the money would have gotten out of him, out of the Jew, in a Jewish court as well, so therefore we don't place them in the excommunication communication. Vechad Nami, Lay Amron, and this is we said that a single person who went and testified like this. That we place him in an excommunication. We only said that, El de Magista, if he went and he testified in a court of these like low level courts in a, in like a little town where they don't really know what they're doing about Beidava, but in a significant court. In Unami to When, when there's a single witness, they're not going to believe the single witness, but rather all they're going to do is make the person, the defendant swear. So that's exactly like the, the Din of the Torah, explains Rashi. And therefore that's okay. So therefore, a single witness, if he went and he testified thus, so we're not going to put him in an ex- communication.